Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the OKC82 podcast. This is podcast form only because the radio station we usually record in is playing the NFL because this is the game that everyone wanted to know about. Thunder Clippers rematch again, right? Yes, it is championship Sunday in the NFL. At the time of this recording, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have already punched their ticket to the Super Bowl, and it looks like the Bills are up 9 to nothing, pending an extra point. Some people across the metro area watching NFL, not doing Thunder stuff, but no, not Christine, not I. We are the two, the only two, it seems like, people actually caring about basketball right now. So here we are. We do this for you people. Exactly. So that you can know what happened without having to watch, because we know that there's an important game on although i think that with this one everyone you didn't really have to watch to know what was going to happen no you didn't but guess what people stepped up surprised i am i am too i am too but we are here and it is part two so before we get into it though i did have one question for you oh we're already okay okay so by the way christine butterfield that is ryan chapman at radio's ryan on twitter aloha i know OKC, He's never here. OKC82ers, okay, so. you're just like, who is this person? Yes. OU Basketball actually decided to not play on the same night, so that's good. Woo-hoo. But uh, So there are going to be four of these in the first half of the season in the NBA. Every team's going to play four of these that Oklahoma City just completed with the Clippers, where it is the exact same game, not necessarily a back-to-back, as this one obviously was played on Friday and Sunday. So we can't call it a back-to-back. On the Thunder broadcast, Fisher was talking about it's a mini MLB series, because it's two games instead of three. I didn't like that either. So, Christine, (laughs) do you have a suggestion for what we need to call these miniature, um, you know, two-game stretches with the same team? Or should we go to Twitter and see if Twitter can help us name it? I feel like uh, this this doesn't have a good ring to it, but maybe, like, um, long weekend with the family. So the Thunder's long weekend with the family with the Clippers? Yes. Well, because you know when you spend, like, like let's say you take off Friday, or it's, like, one of those weird situations where you have Labor Day, so you just have, like... The three-day weekend. You have the three-day we- weekend, and you spend it with your family, so you're like, how are we still doing this, but also good times, question So mark? should we amend it to the th- Oklahoma City's three-day weekend in L.A.? Three-day weekend with the Clippers? Yeah, I like that. I feel that. like that rolls better because the, it's, the, it it's the long weekend the with the family with the Clippers. The, we workshopped it. That's what we did. You you brought it. We workshopped it. I like it. So the Thunder's three-day weekend th- in L.A. In L.A. Wrapped up, and it was ugly. And it was ugly. It was at least a little bit nicer than their matchup on Friday. The score on Friday was 120 to 106. The score for this Sunday's game was 108 to 100. Oklahoma City Thunder lose both games, although they lost this one by a tad less and that's mainly because I my biggest takeaway from the last game was that they needed to have three players stepping up. It's not clear who the third player is. Not even really clear who the second player is cuz SGA is the only one being consistent throughout most of the games, putting up double digits into the 20s usually at this point. But for the last couple of games, it's been Lou Dort. Earlier in the season, Darius Baisley, excuse me, was stepping up. Now he's kind of going through a bit of a dry spell, so it's been kind of a question mark on who the rotating characters are for SGA that are going to be competitive with him. And today, 
it was actually George Hill who I mentioned should probably be stepping up at this point, and it looks like he did. He scored 22 points. He was 9 of 12 from field goal range. So. Efficient George Hill. We haven't seen that since, what, the very first night of the season in Charlotte? Exactly. Yeah, so he's finally back, question mark? Probably not. But he played well this game against the Clippers, and actually Isaiah Roby also had a pretty decent game. He was 5 of 10 and scored 10 points. And then you have... Hamdu Diallo, who decided to help out just a tad, scored 14 points tonight, was 6 of 9 from the field, which I said, I hope he just missed one more shot when he was 6 of 8. Well, you said that about George Hill, because we watched the game together. George Hill was 6 of 8 shooting, and you were like, well, he just needs to shoot one more time and miss. That didn't happen, but Hami Diallo saved it for you. So shout out, Hami. So shout out, Hami. You're a real one, obviously. So, well, at least today you were. Tomorrow it probably won't be, because that's just how Hami is. Yeah. But... Um, so my biggest takeaway kind of came into fruition, even though, um, it wasn't enough to put them ahead, but Ryan, I wanted to ask you, were you surprised at all that George Hill had this, I don't want to say breakout night, but had one of the better games he's had in a very long time? Well, before we get to that, I, uh, smell that Christine. I think that is a new segment coming on for you. It is, uh, just free advice here. Okay. It can be the, who's the third man? (laughs) Of the game, yeah, and uh, there you go. We we can get some some great audio of of Kevin Nash and Scott Hall and and some non problematic Hulk Hogan. And uh, I'd love for Matt Burton to make an appearance in the audio medium for that. Well, as I well. yes, we I feel like it's now Matt has to be a part of every imaging, everything like that. But but Absolutely. we can get a little old school WCW. Who's the third man of of the night or something like that? But yeah, George Hill. At one point, I kind of wrote down that. Um, I think this was after there was a moment in the first half that George Hill got the ball. Way to go. Uh, so Remember, sorry. kids, always put your laptop on silent when you're opening up for a podcast. I'm, but... I'm usually so keyed in on that. I'm yes. usually so, like, mute, mute. I don't know why I wasn't tonight. Sorry. Um, basically, I guess I care more about football. Just kidding. No, well, I don't because you're... we're recording this podcast. You're the so. Hamadou Diallo of the OKC82. How dare you? If anything, it's you because you only show up half the time. No, that would be Al Horford. But he, he has a good reason. He has a good reason. No. He's out for the birth of his child. Fourth Horford. We get it. We get it. Congratulations to Al and the fam. But uh, George Hill, yeah. So there was a moment in the first half that uh, he got the ball as the shot clock was expiring, and it just looked like he had no – because he just dribbled the shot clock out with about a second. I was like, oh, my God. Tried to get the shot up. Didn't get it off on time. And I Obviously. was just like, what is happening? I was like, you're a veteran. That's not supposed to happen to you. So th- this was also during the period of time where uh, the scoreboard had just come back onto the screen, which I do want to get into. But I was sitting there going, God, George Hill, he's doing George Hill things again. Let me see. I pull it up, and he was like 4 of 5. And I was like, oh, well, George Hill's having the worst quiet ga- great game ever. But uh-huh. um, he was really good tonight, and that's what you needed because this was – we've been waiting for it. We've been bracing for it. This was the Lou Dort off night. Not a bad thing for Lou Dort. Like, off nights happen to everyone in the league. Lou Dort just didn't have a, a ton of offensive success tonight. So, George Hill was there to kind of pick up the slack and and be that veteran presence. So, it, it was great because, like you said, Christine, Shea Gildas-Alexander is the constant on this basketball team. Um, it felt like he was absolutely going it alone Friday night in in the you know front end of this three-day weekend in L.A., the, the three-day road trip. But, uh yeah, tonight, George Hill, he was good. He was that guy for him. And like you said, I I would like to see this out of him more. And we're not asking for 
9 of 12 every single night. But if he could be 3 of 5, 3 of 6, 3 of 7, somewhere in there. If he could score like only 10 to 15 points a game, yeah. I'd be very happy with that. Yeah, cuz like he's the he's the veteran and he and it's not a Chris Paul role, you know, like last year Chris Paul's the veteran, but he's he's teaching everyone how to play basketball. Basically, he's out there doing Chris Paul things. George Hill doesn't have to do that. He doesn't need to to put the ball up 10 times a night. But when he has nights like this, it's like, good job, George Hill. Yes, this is what you'd expect from a veteran. You know, I don't think anyone's asking him to do too much by making him seem slightly more efficient and actually being a presence in the offense. I don't think that's much to ask for. But as of this point, it's what the Thunder need because no one else is really stepping up besides Lou Dort if he has a efficient night, which is I don't like I don't want to say he's inconsistent because I don't believe that's true. I'm there's just some nights where he's more efficient than others. Right. And for the past couple of games, for the past like maybe like three to four in that game stint, he's been more efficient than um, other times. His three point shot was, you know, just going in hot. But well, right now he's he's like there was a stat on Twitter that he's shooting better from behind the arc than like Trey Young, Kyrie, like all these really good three-point shooters. And you're just like, is it sustainable or not? Well, that's not really the worry. It's just that the concern with Lou Dort is just have the confidence, but don't shoot the thunder out of a game, which he hasn't done this year. And I I think the flip side of that just lasts a little bit on George Hill. This is what George Hill has been his entire career though. That's why he wasn't one of those members of the team that was, brought in in the offseason and then moved immediately because the team was like, oh, my gosh, the Thunder don't need George Hill. We need him. He's that last piece. Like, George Hill is not that guy. So, on one hand, it's like, I don't want to ask him to reinvent and be something that he's never been, you know, his entire career, but I feel like he, he's been slotted in this really nice role where there's not a lot of pressure on him because it is not a team that's expected to win at a super high clip. On top of that, Shea is shouldering the load on the offense. So, I feel like we're not asking a ton out of him to just be like, shoot for three for seven every night. If you go three for seven and get to the free throw line once, uh, you know, for a pair of, of free throws, then you'll, you'll get to about ten points, and that's all the Thunder need out of you. Yeah, that's a, yeah, that's kind of what I was referring to. Like, I don't think he's we're, no one's asking him to do that much, right? Just to score a little bit above average per night. Yeah, as someone who's a veteran like George Hill, shouldn't be too much to ask, but apparently it is. Although moving on, the team did well. Um, tonight they did better than they did against the Clippers two nights ago. In the second half, I feel like. In the first half? Well, also in the second quarter they outscored the Clippers by six. Yeah, but in the I think that the Clippers struggled with the fact that in the first quarter they played just as well as they played two nights ago against the Thunder. The difference is the threes didn't fall. Well, like this could have been a 500-point game in the first half if the threes fell, and I think the Clippers – kind of struggled a little bit with just losing a little bit of interest because I think we saw that in the second half too, which we'll get into. So I'm not totally on board with, I don't think the Thunder played any better in the first half than they did in game one. The Clippers didn't hit the shots. I think in the second half they came out and played a lot better. I don't know if I agree with that. I mean, the shots not falling for the Clippers is ultimately what ended up in this game being closer than the other one was. But the score in the first quarter for both games was practically the same. The Clippers scored 36 points in both first quarters. Oklahoma City scored 18 points in the first quarter last game. This game, they scored 19. 
So the outcome was pretty much the same. Second quarter, they were able to outscore the Clippers by six, which means that they were a little bit more effective on offense than they were in the previous game. And then in the second quarter, I think, or the second half, excuse me, they were able to kind of turn up the heat, really find their stride. It wasn't great basketball, but it was better than what we'd seen. So for that part, it was an improvement. And that falls more on Mark Dagnall than it does really the players because he was able to make those adjustments moving from one game to the next. Also, the I think the key attribute to this was that the Thunder did way better in scoring points in the paint, but also limiting the Clippers' points in the paint. Because when you look at the game on Friday, Clippers scored 56 points in the game, um, in the paint. Thunder scored 52. In the game today on Sunday, the Clippers scored 42 points in the paint. So that's about 14 point difference. And then the and then the Thunder scored 66 points in the paint, which is 14 points both right just one's yeah, more 28 point bigger. swing yeah so like, that's like a huge improvement so for mark dagnall i think that's a big win in his cap yeah and i think that like you said the second half was much better this is just going to be while al horford is away from the team obviously for great reason like uh, not knocking out horford for being away from the team but just the way this roster is constructed when horford's not with the team they are really going to struggle most nights in the paint because you're asking an undersized either Isaiah Roby or Darius Baisley or Mike Muscala, who wants to be more of a stretch four, stretch five. That, or an unconfident Oleski Pokashevsky. Yes, like like unconfident defensively. Offensively, that dude has all the confidence in the world still, which is good to see, I guess. But um, but not in the paint, though. Which true. Is, which is more what uh, He did saying. have an electric dunk in transition tonight. But one dunk. One dunk. He had one, one basket. One singular dunk in transition, and that yes. was And that was... Good job. Good job, Poku. Gold star for you. And that then he went was, right back to not scoring anything. I mean, I told you during that. I was like, that's the first time I've been like, he's an NBA athlete, actually. <laughs> Other than that's, that, it's been, he's been, he's uncoordinated. It, it was the first time I think any of us saw a glimmer of athleticism. Yes. From Poku, so. And he's got a, he's got a long way to come. I think there's also a, a certain amount of just growing into that body because it, it takes a while uh, to get used to that. But he, it's kind of, it's kind of like one of those things I feel like either if someone is on stilts or if you're in one of those costumes where you have to move parts of your body with just a different body. I don't know, even know how to explain it. You know how like you get into an oversized costume? No. Never mind. Anyway, it's No, like go walking. on. No, go. I'm here for it. I have no idea what you're talking about, but I'm looking forward to you getting um, me there. It's like walking on stilts. You, okay. you know, like you know where to put your feet. It's like learning you- how to walk in moon shoes. And that's even like just adding basically a, a, like six extra inches where you're just like it's wobbly and you're just having to learn how to do all your balance. I'm like, still oh, just God. like in my head, I think of that scene. This I'm really taking it back here. Yes. I think of that scene from Bambi when Bambi is trying to like, I, I'm pretty sure they're trying to skate on ice or walk on ice and okay. he just keeps spinning around over and over and over again because, you know, like deer are very fragile beings so yeah. they can't do a lot because animals don't ice skate yeah well no that's in complete, general that's completely believable but when he's trying to like actually walk across ice it's practically impossible that's what i think about poku because he doesn't know where to move his limbs anyway isaiah roby sorry that was a very very long tangent yes isaiah roby five of ten tonight and he was getting to the land that's what you like to see he also grabbed 10 boards i think that that is a career high in rebounds uh don't check me on it it might be but um yeah, I think that it's one of those things that it's going to be inconsistent night to night, and 
that's just how the roster is constructed. This is going to be a storyline all season long. Is that you're going to see any team with a with a respect a self-respecting big or even just a, a skill player like Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, who are so comfortable getting to the hole. Like that's going to be a problem. There is no real rim protector on this roster. So it's always going to be an issue. So that that's an area that obviously Oklahoma City keyed in on. It really helps that you've got two guys like Hamadou Diallo and Shea Gidjus-Alexander who can get to the bucket on their own, get those points in the paint. That's going to always, uh, I don't use inflate is the right word, but when you see something like 60-something points in the paint, you're like, oh, my gosh. In the past, this would have been a time where Steven Adams and, and Enos Kanter really went after it. And it's like, no, it's really a, a lot of guys that are – on ball, like Shea and Hamadou just doing a really good job of getting to the bucket. And then you've got Isaiah Roby, guys like that, that are helping it out. So, obviously, a, a much improved thing. And that's what, look, the, the Thunder are not going to beat the Clippers one time. Like, one time out of ten, they might, just because the Clippers are that much better than them. But but they're taking away just the easy things. Like, if you can limit the offensive rebounds of the Clippers, and, and if you can, you know, be dominant on the glass, if you can keep them out of the paint, and just make life a little bit harder on them. That's the stuff that will translate two or three years from now once you have better rosters and more talented players. Like, that's really important stuff. So even though it might seem like, oh, well, you know, you're identifying this moral victory, that those are the important things, like you said, yeah. for, for Dagnall to be able to improve on game to game because that is the stuff that will translate. Mm-hmm. Shooting only threes and and layups basically like okay we've seen a ton of teams try to replicate that and it turns out the only ones that are good at it are the ones that can acquire an elite three-point shooting superstar and then other really good role players so that doesn't always translate but the things like rebounding and stuff like that will fundamentals are key i mean they're kind of under people underrate them in the nba because when you have star players like lebron james or Kawhi leonard lebron james on your team you don't really need to focus that much on the fundamentals because you can just focus on the fact that they're going to score and they're going to get theirs, and more than likely they're going to win the game. When you're a team like the Thunder, you need to go game to game, focus on everything that you can improve, and that's as easy as rebounding the ball. And tonight they out-rebounded the Clippers, actually, 51-46. to So that means that they were really doing a good job of making sure they got those easy boards when possible. And they also scored 16 points off of turnovers. Yeah, that's like, pretty good. Like you, you, when you're a, a bad basketball team, you're a bad offense. This is one of the least efficient offenses in the league. What oh. do you What do you want to do? You want to create just any easy opportunities you get. That usually yeah. is what comes in transition. And, and on the rebounding front, like you said, Christine, it's not like sometimes a team is so hot that it like hurts their rebounding. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. But <laughs> no, the the Thunder shot forty four point two percent from the field. Clippers only shot point four percent better. So it's not like the Clippers were just so much more efficient shooting the basketball that, okay, the rebound opportunities just weren't there, or the Thunder were so bad that they were – no, it was it was a good performance inside. And, and unfortunately for Oklahoma City, the difference in this game is that Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are twice the player as anyone on this Thunder roster. And when they – the points of the game, when they were locked in and actually cared, like, that's what happened. Because there was a point in the um, third quarter where the Thunder bench – Plus, Shea had, you know, really worked hard, cut it to five points, and then Kawhi comes back into the game, and it's almost like the Clippers are like, all right, I guess we have to play basketball now. And then within, like, two possessions, it was back up to ten points. And you're yeah. just like, no. Oh, well, that it's just like that's the difference between the elite teams and, oh, yeah. and the bad teams. The elite teams have the luxury of being able to go on cruise control when they want. 
because they know that when they need to turn up the heat and they need to get back in the game and build a substantial lead, they can do it within two to three plays, like you said. So because the Clippers are so built up and because they have big stars like Kawhi Leonard and Paul George just to be like, okay, cool, they can do whatever they want. And we saw that, and that's why you know the Thunder aren't going to win these games, but at least they made this one more competitive than the last one. I have to ask, though, did you ever expect a world in which Isaiah Roby would get a double-double in a game before Darius Baisley? I I can't say that I did, but it, that's just kind of, you know, the weird journey that Roby's been on. I was, uh, you know, texting with a, a friend who also covers the team, just kind of like, and he was saying, it's weird that Isaiah Roby has better numbers in the NBA than he did when he was playing for Dallas's G League team. And right. It's just like one of those things that last year, and Christine, you and I talked about it, the, the front court was just so clogged because you had Danilo Gallinari, Steven Adams, Nerlens Noel, Mike Muscala, and then, oh, by the way, Darius Baisley, that's that guy that Oklahoma City spent that first-round draft capital on, so they're going to want to get him minutes. By the time Isaiah Roby got to Oklahoma City, there's just no room. There were no minutes. This is a team that was contending, trying to make a playoff run, all that stuff. So there just wasn't any opportunity. So this has been a really nice little run here for Roby without Al Horford. Um, I think that it's obvious for both Baisley and Roby that they'll be a great tandem as your four going forward, and the Thunder really need to find someone who can come in and consistently be that center, but that's not a this-year problem. That's a two, three years down the line type of thing. So uh, it's been a really nice stretch by Isaiah Roby, really good to see, and he's one of those guys that's worked his way into part of the future in some semblance, I feel like, whether he's good enough to be an asset to trade or a rotational guy. like I think that the Thunder will be happy with either one of those outcomes, and I think he's really the first guy to play himself from a – question mark or a not in to this guy's part of the future because I think right now everyone else has just been Shay. yes he's part of the future Lou Dort he's part of the future he's cemented himself as maybe a bigger role going forward but no one has played from that out to in and I think Isaiah Roby is the first guy to do that this season for sure and I think Isaiah Roby is building himself into quite the nice role player someone that you kind of underestimate I'm not saying he's going to be incredible by any means I'm just saying that you know in a year or two from now I can see him being an underrated role player for sure just based off of how good he is with spacing and how great he is at picking his shot because I don't think that he you know go goes crazy on spot selection by any means I don't think that he overestimates his place in the offense and I think that defensively even though he's undersized for what he's playing in right now due to Al Horford's absence I think he's pretty good defensively at staying locked in moving his feet and just knowing where he is on the floor at all times and those are things that when you have more experience in the NBA you're starting to make more shots and you're getting into the flow of the offense those small things go big way whenever you're actually making shots. And that's what you saw from Isaiah Roby tonight. Is he going to be consistent with this, these kind of numbers? No. Right. But what you see from him in nights where he does well like this is you see hope for the Thunder. You see hope for someone like him that's just going to keep soaking in like a sponge like SGA does in this team. Because if you have someone that's improving from game to game, looking as good um, in small glimpses as Isaiah Roby does, I think that he's just kind of, 
pushing himself into a better position with pretty much every game, especially when Al Horford's out and you're not really asking him to do much, just not basically. I feel like he's one of those players for the Thunder. I think that Alessi Pokashevsky's in this camp, uh, not necessarily Mike Muscala, probably Kendrick Williams and Teo Maladon, I think, are in the camp of just don't mess up. Like, just go out there. I totally disagree. I think that those are the guys that they're saying go mess up and learn. Like, Poku and Teo, I think that they're in two different spots. Teo and Poku are obviously the rookies, but it's the go out there, mess up. We're not contending for anything. We're not pushing for a playoff spot. So make your mistakes now. Go learn from them. Roby and Williams, I think, are in a position of you were warm bodies. We are throwing you out there. This is an opportunity for you to play your way onto a roster. So go for it and go play around to a roster. I don't think that Roby or Williams have the luxury to go mess up a lot because they're just going to say, cool, we're done with you. You were the warm body this year, and you're not going to be with this team going forward. I don't know about that. Mainly because, I mean, I, I the don't mess up thing, probably true because no no one really cares if the Thunder are messing up right now. So I, I more so meant, like, don't make five mistakes in a row, basically, because that's kind of like, then why are you even playing anyways? I don't feel like Isaiah Roby's in the camp of, oh, well, you were a warm body, so now just do the most you can all the time. I feel like he's still in that camp with Aleski Pokashevsky and Teo Maladon, where it's like, go out there, show us what you got. No big deal if it's tragic, whatever. And I, I don't know if you're saying that because Poku and Maladon specifically are draft no, that's exactly why, because they are they are people the Thunder use assets on. So they have to have a year, maybe even two years, because I don't expect this roster to magically turn it around and, and be competing for a, a high seed in the playoffs next year. I think something incredible I, would have to happen. I just don't think – I just think that at this point from what I've seen this season, I think that Roby's ceiling is bigger than Poku's. Yeah, and. I don't think so. That it, I don't expect anything out of Poku anytime he goes in. Yeah, but the Thunder moved up in the first round to draft Poku. I so know, it, it and doesn't so matter. Like, hey, they need him to play better because they need to prove that this draft capital is worth it, and they need to show that they picked a good player and that you know they know someone that's going to be a big difference for them. Whatever. I'm just saying that I don't think they're necessarily. I don't think they're necessarily getting Roby and putting him out there and being like, look, like, you got to prove every single time while you're still on this floor. Well, no, I think that what I'm saying is at the beginning of the season, Isaiah Roby and Kendrick Williams were warm bodies because you have to carry 15 guys on a roster. Well, yeah. And so those guys have more pressure on them because everyone knew when Poku was drafted, the Thunder spent moved up in the first round to spend first round draft capital on him. Knowing that he's so young, all this stuff, Poku has three years on this roster where there is nothing he could do where his roster spot on the court, nothing he could do on the court where his roster spot is in danger. Because knowing that he's the youngest player in the draft and he's younger than most people, even in the next draft class coming, like people understood that. Williams and Roby did not have that coming into the season. It's you have a season to prove you should be on an NBA roster. And Isaiah Roby has absolutely done that to the point where if you ask Thunder fans in two or three years, if your first two guys off the bench are Isaiah Roby coming in for Darius Baisley and Hamadou Diallo coming in as your six-man type guy, right now I don't think Thunder fans would be mad about it. 
No, I don't either, but I still think that Poku has more pressure than Isaiah Roby does. It, so in the long term of his career, yes. I think we're saying the same thing. This year, Poku has no pressure on him. He could play 10 minutes every single night and turn the ball over once a minute, and he has no pressure because he's the Thunder moved up in the first round to get him. They know it's a three- to five-year project. Like, if Isaiah Roby goes out there and does that, he will not be in the NBA next year. And no team will ever take another look at him. So there's more pressure in the long term on Poku, yes. Like, next year, year three, there will be more pressure on Poku. This year, there is no pressure on Poku. Does that make sense? Because everyone knows he's going to be a two- to three-year project. In the long term of his career, absolutely. Poku has so much more pressure on him than Roby ever will. But for this season, Poku has no pressure. It's just come in learn and just show that you're improving and absorbing and not making the same mistakes. Roby this year was the year to prove why he needs to be in the league. And he's done that. Yeah, sure. Okay. So anyway, I was going to ask um going forward though. I mean, we can actually let's get into something a little bit more positive then. I we kind of go through a player of the game every you know, every different post game or whatever. For sure. Uh I know we don't have the sound bite to give us that player of the game. Player of the game. Thank you so much. You're welcome. So, who's your player of the game? I, I mean, I think tonight I'm going to go with George Hill just because we haven't got this kind of performance out of him. You've already said it, but but like you said, 22 points on 9 of 12 shooting. Anytime you're going to have a guy that is shooting 75% from the field like that, they're probably as good a candidate as anyone Throw on top of that that everyone else, your normal, your usual suspects, words are hard. Dort was 2 of 10 for four points. The off night he's afforded absolutely, but Hill kind of stepped into his role. So I'm going to go with George Hill just because Shea went out there and did what Shea's shown he's going to do every night. And George Hill was that number two guy for him tonight for the Thunder to even try to get back into the game and make it close where they were in a fouling situation with with about a minute, a minute half left in the game. Yeah, I... I don't want to say SGA, despite having 23 points, six rebounds, and seven assists, because that's what you expect from the leader of your franchise. Yeah. That this is pretty much his constant at this point, is scoring around 20 points. So he didn't do anything that I haven't seen him not do. I He, he did fine. You know, like that's what played, you expect yeah. from SGA at this point. He played point. well. So he played like SGA. Cool. Good job. So I, I would either give it to George Hill or actually Isaiah Roby because. Um, you already kind of gave all the reasons why it should be George Hill, and I think it is, but I don't necessarily want to go and just say copy paste. Well, that's a that's a it's a long standing rule of the OKC eighty two podcast slash franchise first take thunder post game show is you know we all got to try it we all try to be different be different and there could be more than one player of the game hashtag dare to be different and I think Isaiah Roby is a great choice by you. Thank you. So I'm gonna go Isaiah Roby because I feel like. He did a better job of stepping into Al Horford's role than Darius Baisley did in this game, and that's not something that I would have expected from Isaiah Roby, especially at this point. And I thought that Darius Baisley, I think that he should be stepping up. I don't know what rut he's going through, but he needs to get over it and figure it out because, frankly, it's getting to the point of concern to me. But going back to Isaiah Roby, 5 of 10 tonight, had 10 rebounds, double-double by scoring 10 points, and one steal. He was he was getting it done offensively, staying locked in on defense. Or, yeah, staying locked in on defense. Nailed it. Thank you so much. He also and, had a beautiful coast-to-coast. I, oh, I, love, I love a good coast-to-coast. Roby coast-to-coast coast is electric. It's electric because, like, the whole time 
He's looking around, and it's not a look of panic. Like when I, as you know, the awful athlete that I am, have the basketball in a pickup game, and I'm dribbling in the open floor. I am panicked. I am looking for anyone. I'm like, please, somebody take the ball. Roby doesn't have that, but he he does. He's looking around all over the place. He's like, where's my point guard? He's about to midcourt, and he's like, screw it. I'm putting my head down. I'm getting to the bucket, and I love it. I love the energy about him. And when he's on, he's I think he has like an affectious energy when he's on during yeah. one of these games. So for him, he, he showed out a lot tonight to me, and I thought that he's improved. I don't want to say immensely, but he's improved steadily since the beginning of the season to me. And I'm looking forward to seeing how he ends up by the end of the season and kind of where he's going to stand in the Thunder roster at that point in time. For sure. But other than that, Ryan, we're kind of nearing the end here on our analysis of this amazing Clippers game that everyone was watching. So what's your biggest takeaway moving forward from this game, if there is one? (laughs) I mean... I I was more encouraged by Shea's game on Friday than I was this one. I think he went out and he got the stats. If you're just box score hunting, he did fine. Today, there were way too many times. He's just meandering about in the lane. A lot of possessions, I felt like, got killed by Shea in the lane that then got pinned on somebody else, like that shot clock violation we talked about with George Hill. Like It's not necessarily George Hill's fault that he got the ball with three seconds left. He just has to know there's three seconds left. So I, that, w- that would be my thing is that um, I want to see Shea take that next step, which I think that's the next step for him because this season with the roster he has, that's all he can do is focus on himself. And I would like to see him make everyone around him that much better consistently when they're playing these teams that they're just so overmatched. Because I don't know if that happened tonight in the first half. I think that's the next step he needs to take for this team to get to where they're going to go. Now, what that looks like, it obviously is just going to be incremental on the scoreboard because, like we said, if you're making Kenrich Williams look a little bit better, like you're still not getting – he's not going to turn into Montrez Harrell. You know what I mean? Like, like there's a ceiling on what everyone on this team can do, but I'd like to see Shea get everyone playing closer to that ceiling even though they're going to lose against – you know, these elite teams in the league, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, kind of go back to what Chris Paul was doing last season where everyone improved under his leadership, kind For of sure. to that into Shea. I see what you're saying, and I kind of, I really do agree with that. At this point, since he's putting up consistent numbers and he is kind of getting into the flow of the offense more and really doing a good job of fishing the ball out to people, I, I think that that's going to definitely be the next step for him, whether he's ready for it or not, or whether he can do it in practice. I guess we'll see. Well, And that's a step, too, that, like, if he doesn't take that step until game 72, like, if he just takes that step at all, I think that's an incredible, incredible mark on Shea and his work ethic and, and what he can be. I think mm-hmm. that is uh, a huge green light for this coaching staff and, and, you know, something they can put in the win column, too. Like, again, I, I don't want to sound too nitpicky or whatever like I just think that for Shea he's reached that level like you talked about of this is what we expect from him on a night-to-night basis so I think that's the next step he has to take it it could be 40 more games where he starts to take that step and that's okay like I think that he's a little bit ahead of schedule and he just probably needs to make that step by the all-star break next year if he wants to keep you know his trajectory going yeah I think it's impressive at this point that he's being so consistent with his numbers that um as of right now in his career, that's a big deal. And a lot of that attributes to the fact that he is the primary ball handler, so he does kind of have a say in how much he's going to score and how much he's going to do 
versus how much he's going to funnel the ball out. But for him to consistently have these numbers means that he knows the pressure he holds and he's confident with himself now, which is something I didn't know I was going to be able to say this early in the season. So for that, good on you, Shea. Yeah, and the 8 of 20s appear to be a thing in the past, too, shooting performances. Like, not only is he getting his, but he's not having to take 20, 25 shots to get there. Yeah. So that's, that's the other part of it that I think is why we can kind of close the book on this step in the development, be like, he's there. Now let's look forward and see what the next step he needs to take is. Yeah. My biggest takeaway, though, is it's clear to me that there has to be someone. I know I said last post game that there has to be a, a third person in the rotation to really get it Who's done. Who's the third man? Who is it? Um, where's Rachel? Where's the trigger? <laughs> <laughs> but I think now it kind of, for me, it, there has to be two starters that are really being effective and have a high product productivity level. Right. But I think that third person has to come from the bench because it, we saw this earlier in the season where there would be a huge drop-off whenever the bench would go in and lose the lead for the Thunder. They'd have to bring in their starters to kind of remedy that. And then there was a couple games back-to-back, I believe, where the Thunder were actually down, and then the bench came up and got the Thunder into the lead, if not tied. And that's when you saw the strength that the bench had. Since then, they've kind of dropped back off a little bit. And I don't know if that's um, if that pressure goes on to Hamadou Diallo, which it frankly should since he's kind of more the veteran on this team. Mike Muscala, I think, could do it if he got his shooting numbers up. Or if you're going to really attribute that to Teo Maladon not running the offense effectively whenever he's in. Either way, one of these five guys that they have in this rotation really need to step up and start leading the bench better because if you don't have a leader for that bench and it's not going to be SGA because he's most likely not going to be in right so you need to have someone in that five that they can consistently lean on and someone that's going to bring the heat no matter what no no matter when they go in so I don't know who that guy is but someone needs to step up yeah and you kind of talked about that the Thunder were improved today in the second quarter versus what they did on Friday against the Clippers Um, I had kind of jotted down when they went on their little mini run it was Maldon Diallo, Poku, Williams, and Mascala on the floor. So that was the five that kind of went on that run. And I think you're totally spot on that um, early in the year, for me, Mascala was that guy that even if he wasn't on ball, this is something that you can only really tell if you're in the arena. Um, But he's the guy that is constantly talking, moving the offense around from that off-ball role. He's kind of taking that lead. Then when Diallo went on his little run um, of that week and a half where he was just electric every single night, he kind of was that guy. So I, I kind of look for Diallo and Mascala, like you said, to kind of to kind of um, shoulder the yeah, responsibility. Yeah, to, to kind of uh, work through that together just because I'm not sure if Maldon is there yet at this point in his career. We know that he's been a professional before, it, It's but this jump to the NBA is something totally different. So until he can get that consistently down, I think you're looking at Diallo because Diallo is the guy that if the roster stayed the same, which it's not, but, but as of right now, he's the guy being groomed as the next – Oklahoma City six man so so that's kind of the guy by the end of the year that I would like to be doing that night in night out yeah I honestly like I don't know if this it's selfish because I don't necessarily care who it is but selfishly for the Thunder I think it should be Hamadou Diallo just because of how much he can really just shock their offense because when he is on it seems like he brings everyone up with him I think I think he get whenever he's on 
he brings in Muscala more. I think Teo Maladon feels less pressure to be on ball as much, and you see them working together better. And even Poku puts up, I don't know, 15 points possibly, because let's, I mean, he never makes them. He was one of eight tonight. So dude's not afraid of shooting the ball. Correct. But I think whenever Hamadou Diallo is hitting his stride, he brings that offense up with him, and he's able to uplift everyone and get them more involved versus when he's off, and then he's just off ball, and he doesn't know really what to do in the offense. So ideally for the Thunder, I think Hamadou Diallo is your best bet, despite him being inconsistent. Well, I like game to game, it doesn't matter if you're just looking at the output of wins and losses, but I think everyone can agree that even in a year where you're not tanking, tanking, which the Thunder aren't tanking, tanking, but in a year like this, that's it's obviously a development year, looking at things in terms of wins and losses is a mistake. So I think that it does matter a lot that it is Hamadou Diallo. Because when you're looking at this roster, we know obviously Shea's going to be a part of the future, Darius, Lou Dort, we've, and uh, Diallo's that fourth guy that you wanted to be the fourth guy in your young core. I know we've said that Roby has played into a rotational spot, but Diallo, like we, he's going to be the sixth man if they have their way. So I think that's why it's so important that it is Hamadou Diallo. Like, that does matter. And I would rather the Thunder lose games now, putting Hamadou Diallo in that situation so that he's comfortable and that by the end of the year, because that's going to translate to more wins over the long run over the next 10 years of this franchise if everything works out the way that Sam Presti has the board set up right now. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. Um, but that kind of takes care of this game. Don't know if there's much more to get into, mainly so that we can catch the end of this Chiefs game. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, sure. Just uh, real quick, two more games on the road trip. Monday, they're headed to Portland. That one's a 9 o'clock start. Fun. So get your coffee out, and then Wednesday they're headed to Phoenix, an 8 p.m. start. But I think every Thunder fan's gonna want to be up for that one. It's Chris Paul and the boys. We know that Chris and Paul's. Danilo Gallin- Wait, isn't he? With- no, he's in Atlanta. He's he's How a did member I of. About that? He's a member of my Atlanta oh, Hawks. I, I must Christine. have just. I Come must on, have just you've tried to. De- I, it out I know I you've tried to delete it. Out, yeah, you've yeah. tried to delete it out of your mind. I get that, but might uh, be, might be. Yes, no, it, uh, Chris Paul, and we know that he's been watching. He's still keeping up with it because what was it during, was it the Knicks game or the Brooklyn game? One of those maybe um, where Chris Paul was tweeting during the game like, yeah, Shay, look at that, you know? He so, said something like he's, you're going to be watching him for a while. Exactly. Which was super cool. Yeah, so we, we know that Chris Paul still cares deeply about um, the members His of this roster, yeah, the two or three people that are still left. So <laughs> it, it'll be fun to see that reunion on Wednesday before uh, the Thunder come home, and then they're they're going to have – Three straight three-day weekends. They'll have one game against Houston, but a three-day weekend hosting the Rockets, three-day weekend hosting Minnesota, three-day weekend at the Lakers. So we're going to get used to these uh, series. Fun stuff. Excited for all that. Definitely excited for that Phoenix Suns matchup with the Thunder, as I think a lot of Thunder fans will be. It's going to be a good one. Keep it locked in with 107.7 The Franchise and OKC82 Podcast. Just a reminder before we head out. LA Clippers win 108 to 100 to the Oklahoma City Thunder. I'm Christine Butterfield alongside Ryan Chapman. Follow us on the Twitter machine too at CBN Sports at Raiders Ryan. Do it. Do it. Shameless plug. Do it. We'll see you guys next time.